God has a message for us this morning in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. That's where we left off. We had looked at verses uh, 1 through 13, and we're picking up in about verse 14 right now. And if you hadn't noticed from our uh, scripture reading, it's about a building. God is all about building a community in church. And my wife and I have experienced some of that in, uh, in the past. When we first got married, we built a building. Actually, it was a house. Um, and it was really an interesting experience for us. I was determined as a young man never to waste my money on rent. And so kind of moved into um, the, I don't know, community of you know, Christian living. I decided that I was going to invest in a fifth wheel trailer so that I wasn't wasting my money on rent. I didn't have a lot of money to waste back then, so I bought this fifth wheel. Actually, I took over payments from a fellow church member who had used it to build a house, and they weren't using it anymore. And so I took over the payments, and I lived in this fifth wheeler until I met Reese. And as we met and engaged in our relationship, Reese very determinedly told me that there was one little obstacle in the way of our consummating our marriage, and that was that she was not going to live in a fifth-wheel trailer. Now, I've been working on her ever since then, because I really think that the life would be to sell our house and live in a nice motorhome where we could go anywhere and everywhere. And I'm going to need my kids to help me with that, because they're going to need to get married, move out of state, have grandchildren that we have to go visit. And when that happens, then I'll have a really good excuse for following through with my plan to get back to life as it's at its best. So I'm in this fifth wheeler. I've made the payments, and basically I own the fifth wheeler. And so Reese's determined not to live in it, and I decide, therefore, to sell the fifth wheeler and to take the investment that I've made into that fifth wheeler, $7,500, and build a house on a piece of property. We were able to find the property. Actually, we just wanted five acres, but we got 20 acres because it was cheaper to buy a 20-acre parcel. And we were able to get that property for $500 an acre. I'll let you think about that for a little while. Back where we lived, up by the Canadian border, that's what you could buy property for. You probably still can to this day. I don't know. It's not much more than that, I'm sure. Ferry County. And so we got into the property on payments, and I still had the bulk of my money to invest in building a house. And so we went for it. And people thought we were absolutely crazy. This will never build a house for $7,500. Well, my father-in-law, who's here today, Louis, he entered into conversation with us about this. And he asked us about this house we were building. It was going to be a very simple one-story house. And he said, what would it take to go up to a second story so that we could come and visit you and have a place to stay. And I told him, I said, well, it would take about, let's see now, it would take about $5,000 to double the capacity of that house because you're going to put a roof on it, so that's paid for. You're going to put a foundation under it, so that's paid for. So you're just going up another story. So all we really need is, now you've got to understand, when Reese and I were figuring this out, we knew exactly what we needed. We had every 2x4, every 2x6, every T111, every piece of sheet with sheetrock, we had it all figured out. We knew exactly what we needed. And back then, two by four was seven going on going in and out. Two by four was seventy-nine cents a piece. Two by six was ninety-nine cents a piece. This was in nineteen ninety-one. 
Do you remember? Some of you weren't alive back in 1991, right? Just switch it out. Is that working? Yeah, there we go. All right. Jeff, you stuck this in my pants and not in my belt. I just want, I want you to know that. All right. Some of you weren't alive in 1991. How many people here were not alive in 1991? Gabriel, I want you to put your hand up just because I want to pick on you. You're so young, right? My son wasn't alive in 1991. Sonia, no. So, so basically, building materials were cheap. Two, uh, uh, four by eight sheetrock was $2.49. And we had it all figured out. I mean, we framed the house around the windows. We bought the windows before we started building the house. We bought them secondhand. And we got them so that we could... We built our walls so that we built walls and structured it so that... Yes. That'll be all right. A four by... It's got to turn this on. A four by twelve... Four by eight, four by twelve piece of sheetrock would go from one corner to the end of the wall. So we wouldn't have any seam in there, you know, so you don't have to tape, you don't have to have those ugly tape lines because we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we sheetrocked our house, we taped our house, we mudded our house. That's, if I had to do it all over again, that's the one thing I wouldn't have done. In fact, we did do it all over again, that's the one thing I didn't do. Because, <laughs> you know, that's what's, that's what is gonna, you can cover up everything else, but you can't cover up the finished work, right? So, so we went, to the nth, I mean, we knew exactly everything we needed to buy. Every two by four was counted. Every two by six was counted. Every single piece was valuable. Every single part of that house had a place. And lo and behold, about $12,500 later, and add a little bit of money from our monthly savings, because it took us eight months to actually finish framing it and getting it all, I don't know, what, what's the phrase again? Uh, dried in and livable. So we're talking about just under $20,000 because we scrimped and scratched. We didn't buy any shoes. We didn't buy any, any carob chips. We didn't buy anything extra for that eight months. And as we went through the whole process and we got to the place where we were ready to move in, we bought our washer and dryer used, and we were in. Eight months later, we were in for under $20,000. We had ourselves a 2,000-square-foot home, completely unfinished in the basement, but we were upstairs. Now, it had some problems. It had some issues. There were some things that I could have done differently, I'm sure. And, of course, back in the day, you know. But the most important thing was, this isn't, this isn't working either, I don't think. It is and it isn't. The most important thing was, oh, and let me tell you about the foundation. I forgot about that. The foundation, because where we lived, you didn't even need, uh, you didn't even need permits, really. I mean, it was like people put, uh, they, they would bury a car in the ground and that would be decided, we're going to do this right. We're going to just this empty old gutted out car. And you didn't have to have a foundation, but we decided we're going to do this right. We're going to build a foundation. So, so I borrowed a backhoe from a friend for 25 bucks an hour, and I used a backhoe. I actually used it to dig, you know, the footings. And back then, the footings had to be three and a half feet. It had 36 inches. You had to go down for your footings because it was, 
it got to minus 20, 30 degrees, and so you had to have your footings below the freeze line. And what we did was we went to the store and we bought these blocks, these 99-cent blocks, you know, that you buy. And Reese and I, after we poured the footings, Reese and I put the blocks and we glued them. We glued the blocks. Don't laugh yet. We glued the blocks all the way around for the foundation. We put rebar in and rebar along, along the top. And then we got some foam, the, the thick foam insulation. We put that just above the blocks, about three to four inches. And we poured a floor and the cement poured into the blocks and filled up the blocks. So we had this this homemade foundation. No one had ever done this before. No one had ever seen this before. Maybe someone's done it. We, don't, we didn't know, but we never heard of it. We had this homemade foundation that we did block by block, glue by glue, that was strengthened by the cement that went down to those holes and came up to the floor level. That was our foundation. In the book of Ephesians... Paul is talking about this incredible building in verses 19 and 20. He says, You are no more strangers and foreigners, your fellow citizens with the saints. You're of the household of God. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And I want to say that Jesus Christ, in my illustration, would be like the cement. He's like... That cement that, that, was, that was poured out for each one of us, that filled in all the holes, filled in all the crevices, and brought all of that together. All the rebar, all the, all the cement blocks, all came together in Jesus. That Jesus Christ is like the foundation of this church building that we have here in Fall Creek. And that every single piece of wood. Now, some of those two by fours were a little bit rough. You know how it is when you get a load of two by fours. Some of them aren't so great. And some of those two by sixes. But what I would do is, because I don't want to waste any, what I would do is, is on the basement wall, the, the first story, I should say, what I would do is I would double up the two by four. Because I figured, you know, I had, I had a, a bearing wall because I didn't have trusses. We didn't have money for trusses. So we did rafters. Well, to do rafters, you have to have a bearing wall going from the bottom all the way to the top. And that bearing wall, there were a couple of places, you know, where those two-by-fours weren't really tight. So I just, I throw in a couple of those, those not-so-good two-by-fours. I couple them up, put them together, two or three of them sometimes, and make a nice, sturdy post. And that would be a good way to build up that foundation, that bearing wall, so that it could bear the weight of the rafters on top. Not one piece of wood was wasted. All of it was used. Now, there was one thing that we were told, and I made sure that we did that or didn't do it. We were told now, even though you want to use all the sheetrock, don't make the mistake of using scrap sheetrock. Because <laughs> that, <laughs> Josh is laughing because he knows what I'm talking about. That's just going to make taping a nightmare. You start putting those scrap pieces of sheetrock, and then you've got more uh, uh, seams that you have to tape and mud. So I made sure that we, we did actually waste some sheetrock because we made sure we used the, the whole pieces as much as possible. On the sheetrock. God has brought us together as a household of believers. Some of us are two by six. Some of us are two by four. Some of us are a little in better, a little better shape than others of us are. But God wants each one of us to be part of this building and, and to come together to support one another as this building is going up, as it's being framed up. None of us 
can afford to be laid aside. None of us are waste scrap. All of us have a place in the building of God. All of us have a place in the, in the, in the building that God is developing here in this community. And so Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 2 in the context of these verses. Paul is telling us that he, verse 14, Jesus Christ is our peace who has made both one. I'm reading verse 14 now. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. Now, I want to explain these verses a little bit because sometimes it can be difficult for us to understand what Paul is speaking. Even Peter said that Paul sometimes didn't make sense. What he said didn't always make sense. When we read this, we could come to the conclusion that Paul here is talking about reconciling Jews and Gentiles, bringing them together. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is actually talking about reconciling man and God. And he's saying that in Jesus Christ, man and God have been brought together as one. They become one person in Christ. And the way that happened is Jesus Christ was God who became a man. And so in the person of Jesus Christ, God and man were reconciled. God and man became one. And because of that, we now, as human beings, we now have peace with God. Because in Christ, the law of commandments contained in ordinances has been abolished. It's been taken care of. Everything that was laid out, all the specifics of the law that were laid out, for us to accomplish, we're accomplished in Jesus. He fulfilled every aspect of the law in himself. But he did it as a man. We were supposed to do that, but, but, but we didn't. We haven't, but Jesus did that. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law of God, and therefore he has laid aside, in a sense, he has laid aside that barrier between us and God. Because there's been a barrier between us. The barrier between us and God is this idea that we have fallen short, that we have not been able to live up to, that we have not been able to follow the requirements of his law. And it's caused a barrier. I was really excited um, last night to come to Soup Supper. I couldn't come. I couldn't, I couldn't make it, but I really wanted to be here because I, I, I had a feeling that Sed and Julie were going to be here. Now, I don't know if Sed and Julie were here last night. You guys were here, and I wanted to hear the story because I didn't get to hear the story. I got to see the story, but I didn't get to hear the story. I got to watch. I, I was a witness, but I didn't get to hear the words that were spoken. All I heard Sed say is he drove out, leaving two... of the story last night? Keeps going off and on. I'm not even sure that I should. Oh, it's on mute. Maybe that's why. <laughs> there, is that better? <laughs> I must have pushed that button twice. So, um, 
So I wanted to hear the story. Like, how did he do that? Like, here's this guy with two expired water vehicles, and he's got this huge beard and this long hair. And I'm thinking, they don't know that he's the rep, do they? They don't know he's the rep. And here are these two sheriffs, these police officers, and they're just, they're just writing, writing, writing their little pads of paper. They're writing, writing, writing. I'm thinking, and, and said is so calm. He's so cool. He's so collected. He's just doing his stuff. He's just doing his stuff. I mean, I would have been up there like, like trying to preach them a sermon or something, you know, he's just doing his stuff. And next thing you know, he gets in his vehicle and he drives out of there without a ticket, right? No ticket. I think Reese said to me, no, he got a ticket. He said he got a ticket. I said, no, that was said. He had a smile on his face, and he said, I didn't get a ticket. I just got a warning. See, we are caught in the transgression of the very basics of God's law. We're caught. We're violating. We're expired. And there is nothing we could do about that but depend upon the grace of God. That's what happened to said last night. It's happened to me many times. And what happened was Jesus Christ came down and he met the requirements that we couldn't meet. He satisfied all those requirements so that we could be at one, at peace with, so that we could be justified, so that we could become one with God. That's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. We're not, we're no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers. We're fellow citizens now. We're part of the household of God. That's why we're here at church, because we have a right to be here. There's not one of us that doesn't have a right to be here, that doesn't have a right to sit in this in these seats, that doesn't have a right to fellowship in this building. And we don't have that right because of who we are or aren't. We don't lose that right because we fail God, because we sin, because we turn away from God. We don't lose that right. We have a right to be here because of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus has given us the right to be here. Don't ever forget that because there are going to be times when you don't feel good enough to come to church. You don't feel like you deserve to be in church. And when I say to people, when they say, I don't feel good enough to come to church, you know what I tell them? You're not good enough not to come to church. Right? If you feel like you're not good enough to come to church, that's the very reason why you should be in church because the church is a hospital. The church is a place where people come because they're, they're wounded, they're hurting. We were talking this morning with, with, with Sue and, and Shelly, and Sue was sharing with us how that she got stung by a bee. And I guess when you get stung by a bee in a blood vein, you can get what they call a red line. I didn't know about that. A red line. And if that red line goes all the way to your heart, guess what happens to you? You die. It's over. You guys already knew that. I didn't know that. And so, so Sue got stung by a bee, and she needed assistance. She needed help. She needed medical attention. That's what hospitals are for. That's what urgent care is for. It's, it's a place where you can go and get help. The church is like a hospital. It's a place where we come to get help. And the reason we need help is because we're sinners, not because we're, we're saints. And so you have every right to be here if you see yourself as a sinner. Because Jesus Christ, according to Paul, has given us the peace that has reconciled us with God. And he wants us, verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. There's enmity, there's distance between us and God. And Jesus Christ has done what to that enmity? It says he's slain it. He's destroyed it. He's taken it out. We can't do that, but he's done it. And he's done it for us. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to them who were nigh. 
Now, this is really indicative of Paul's writings because he talks about two groups of people. Those that are far off would be Gentiles, and those who are nigh would be Jews. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus came to preach to both. He came to preach to both of them because whether you're not far off or whether you're nigh, you still needed that peace. You still need to be at peace with God. See, what the Jews were trying to do is they were trying to earn salvation through their obedience, through their righteousness. And what the Gentiles was doing, basically they were just like out there just saying, all those Jews are a bunch of hypocrites and they're a bunch of self-righteous bigots, but they still weren't reconciled. Neither group was reconciled to God. Neither group had a way of reconciling their hearts to Jesus. And so Jesus had to do the reconciling. That's what he came to do. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Through Jesus, we both have access. We have access through Jesus. And then I love this, and I took, I took notes on this because he says here that we are now no more strangers and, fellow citizens, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, with the household of God. We're built upon the foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom... All the building fitly framed together. You know, the Bible talks about building and framing houses. And framing a house is the funnest part, actually. When my wife and I started framing, we were like, whoa, this is way easier than digging that footing and trying to, you know, set all that rebar in place and gluing all those cement blocks, which kind of ruined our hands. Framing is like, pop, 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 up goes a wall. Pop, 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 up goes another wall. We had a problem, though. When we got our two first two walls up, they didn't actually meet at the corners. I mean, they touched on one, one end, but they didn't touch on the other end. I, I didn't know what to do because I had, I had stepped into this venture with Woodshop 1, Woodshop 2, and Advanced Woodshop in high school. That was my basic background. I mean, I was helping us build down at Light Bearers. We were building a publishing house. And so I was learning some stuff down there. But, but the, the problem I had now was these two walls are up and they're in position, but they don't touch at the corners. They touch at the top, maybe, but not at the bottom. Or they touch at the bottom, but not at the top. So I, I went down to talk to, to this guy down the road who, who is a plumber and was helping us build. And I said, what's the deal with my walls? They're not touching all the way down. He said, well, did you square them before you lifted them? I said, square them? Like, what's that? I didn't know. I didn't know. He said, he looked up, you know, he had this look like, I mean, they all had that look. Like, what are James and Reese doing? you got to understand, Reese was cutting my wood. Like, she would do the cutting. She would do the nailing. She would do all that stuff while I did, you know, all of the complicated stuff like squaring the walls, right? And so she, he looked up like, what are these guys doing trying to build a house on a shoestring budget? And what do they think? They're not going to do this. It's just going to get halfway built and it's not going to end. I, I actually had pictures because we took pictures of the whole endeavor and I, and I set them all up in a PowerPoint presentation. I was going to share it with you this morning so you could have a good laugh along with um, us. But the pictures, we didn't have a computer, so I didn't get to show this to you. Maybe I'll show them to you next week just to catch up but or next time because I won't be preaching next week. But basically he came up and he... And he took uh, 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 some kind of, I don't know what he took, some kind of contraption, and he pushed on the top of the wall. Anyway, he got the wall squared. He said, from now on, before you lift a wall, what you want to do is you want to measure from corner to corner and make sure it's the same distance. And if it isn't, you hammer one end or the other end and get that wall square. And then you want to nail two bys across it so it stays square when you lift it up. He said, a better idea actually would be for you to put the siding on to hold the wall. 
Because then you don't have to put the siding on after the wall's up. And so that's what we did, especially on the second floor. On the second floor, we put the siding on before we lifted the walls. So when the walls were lifted, I didn't need any kind of forklift or any kind of scaffolding. The siding was already on. It was a brilliant idea. So we learned how to square walls. We learned a lot of stuff. I did the electrical, most of the plumbing, some of the sheetrock, all the sheetrock hanging, some of the taping. We got a friend to help us with the taping because that was really challenging. Three-way switches were amazing. So... God is saying here in this context of this building, he's dealing with some real people, right? Some, some of us are three-way switches. Some of us are complicated, you know. <laughs> How do you get these guys squared up? How do you get them straightened up? How do you keep them in place so you can lift that wall up and it's all going to fit together? How do you take a bunch of people from all different backgrounds and different experiences and all different ages and, and, and how do you put us all together and fitly frame us together? How do you do that? Only God can do that. That word fitly framed together means to render close jointed together, to organize in capacity, to put us in an organized capacity and bring us together. How does God do that? See, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. When our house went up eight months later, when it was, when it was complete and we actually moved into it, the whole neighborhood was in awe. Like, how did they do that? And we invited them over. They weren't sure they wanted to come over for a houseboat morning party because they were afraid the whole thing was just going to collapse in on them, you know? I said, no, no, no. This house is, this house is safe. We got all of our inspections and we passed. <laughs> I don't know if they believed. But you did have to get inspections and they did check everything and they did make some, you know, some suggestions as we went through the whole process. But the house is still standing to this day, and there are people living in it. We sold it, and they bought it, and there are people living in it, and it's a solid house with a great foundation. And people may look on, and they may see the Fall Creek Church. People in the neighborhood and the community may look at this church, and they may say, ah, how? I don't think there's any way. I mean, look at those rascals. Look at those characters. There's no way God's going to bring that all together. How could he bring that all together? But God is God. And God can do what man can't do. And God can see what man can't see. And God is bringing us together. God is building us into community, into relationship. And he will finish the work he's begun. He'll get the house up. He'll get it covered. He'll get the windows in. And he will get it to the place where it is habitable. It is livable. He's doing a work in you and he's doing a work in me. He's doing a work in each one of us. Let him continue to do what he does and let him bring us together, fitly together, framed together, tight together, supporting one another. And remember, there's not one of us that can be laid aside. We all have a place in the building of God. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much this morning for this picture you've given us of Jesus Christ, the great master builder. Thank you that he's come to this earth and he's reconciled you and us in himself, that he was the perfect God-man. Thank you that he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he's met the requirements that separated us. Thank you that now he is moving through our lives, through our hearts, through our circumstances, and he is framing us together in a building. Some of us are, are plumbing, or wiring, or siding, our windows, flooring. Whatever part we have to play, Father, we know that not one of us can be missing, that each one of us has a place in the building. Thank you for that. Thank you for those young and old. 
Thank you for every person that is here. And those that aren't here, Father, bless us, bless them, and keep us moving forward on this journey together. And as we move forward together and more pieces of material are purchased, Father, may they find a place in finishing up this building, finishing up this work that you're doing in us, in this community, Father. May we acknowledge the need for, for more framing lumber, for more, for more roofing, for, for more insulation, for whatever it is that we need, Father. May we acknowledge that we need those who will join us as we move forward together in this experience of community being fitly framed together under the master builder, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for how you've led us in the past and how you're leading us in the future. We pray in his name. Amen.